Amen. If you would, would you take your Bibles and let's turn to John chapter 10. And the New Testament reading will be the same text from which I will be preaching. And that is John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. And if you would, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. And cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. One shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, what a privilege it is to be here this day, to gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great shepherd. And we would ask now that you would take the reading of your word and the preaching of your word and that you would meet it with your spirit and our hearts, molding us and making us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. And our God in heaven, would you exalt the name of the living Christ, our great shepherd. And Lord, as we walk through this passage together, again, we would ask by your spirit, would you teach us? Would you give us wisdom? And Lord, would you apply it to our lives in whatever place we find ourselves? For many of us, Lord, we need to look to you as our great shepherd. We need to place our hope and our trust in you. For some of us, we need to be encouraged that you are our shepherd. 
And you care and love for your sheep. And Lord, for some even this day that, for one, being called as an under-shepherd, that yes, he looks to you as the perfect example of our great shepherd, and yet he too needs you as his great shepherd. So Lord, there's not a one of us in this place this day that does not need your word in our hearts. So teach us, we ask. Encourage our hearts. Turn our hearts toward you. We pray in the name of and for the sake of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I preached this morning at Trinity Grace from Leviticus chapter 8. And for some of you, those wonderful truths of that passage maybe still sticking around in your mind, not just those of you who from Trinity Grace are visiting here, but those of you from Christ Church Bentonville who might remember that passage that was preached three and a half years ago by Aaron Rains. That hit me this morning, or actually hit me last night as I was preparing to preach, that as I've been listening to Leviticus 8 to 10 and studying this past week, yours was one of the sermons that I listened to. And it ministered to me, ministered to my heart. And I was blessed by listening to that study. But as I was studied Leviticus chapter 8 this past week, my mind kept thinking about the service this evening here with, with you. For after all, in Leviticus 8, that, that is what we see. We find the ordination of the old covenant priests. And this evening, now we have the ordination of a minister of the new covenant. And while there are, of course, differences between the roles of the old covenant priest and the new covenant minister, there are also some continuities between the two as well. And I was struck reading through that passage this morning by the shadows found in the old covenant ritual, not only with the New Testament realities for the minister himself, but those realities that are found in Christ Jesus for all those who belong to him. I couldn't help but notice the steps in that ritual where the priests are cleansed, they are clothed, and they are consecrated. And for all of us in Christ Jesus, we all are cleansed, clothed, and consecrated. We all in Christ Jesus are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we are consecrated to the service of the Lord Jesus. And yet, even now in the new covenant, there are those who are specially gifted and called by the Lord for the ministry of the word and sacrament. And it's our work this evening to carry out the ordination and installation of Aaron Rains to the office of pastor here at Christ Church Bentonville. And this is indeed a wonderful thing. And as you watch the events of tonight, you may think that it is full of ceremony. And indeed it is, as it should be. For a ceremony brings about a change in status for somebody. If you go to a wedding, the two participants go in as single. They come out as a married couple. Aaron's status today doesn't change from unholy to righteous because that status has changed when he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and God changed his heart. It doesn't change from sinner to saint. 
It doesn't change from commoner to nobility. It doesn't change from spiritual to now somehow super spiritual. Nor does it change from vassal to king. In one way, we could say it changes from layman to clergy. Or member to minister. And for Aaron particularly, it changes from ruling elder to a teaching elder. To a pastor in Christ's church. To a shepherd of the flock of God. But I'm not here to talk about Aaron this evening, as fun as that might be. It's even more glorious to talk about our great shepherd, the one to whom this passage leads us. Because after all, a true shepherd points people to our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus, to our shepherd who speaks the truth, to our shepherd who loves his sheep, And to our great shepherd who obeyed his father. Let's look first, shall we, from our text to our shepherd who speaks the truth. And Jesus begins here saying something interesting. He says, whoever does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. Jesus begins negatively here. He's speaking in the context of what had just gone on in chapter 9. There was a man who had been born blind. He had been given sight by the Lord Jesus. And then this man turns and he starts proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And as he does so, he was proclaiming Jesus as the one that was sent by God to save his people. But there was another group there. There was another group there who heard him speak, who heard him proclaiming. The Pharisees, and they kicked him out of the synagogue. The very ones who were supposed to be the shepherds of the sheep, the very ones who were supposed to be the teachers among the people, the religious leaders of Israel, kicked him out of the synagogue for preaching the truth of the Lord Jesus, for pointing people to the true shepherd. And these were those that at one time had claimed, well, Abraham is our father. They claimed, we are disciples of Moses, they would say. And yet Jesus says to them, if that were true, if that were true more than just physically, then you would believe me, for I am the one sent by God. Jesus is saying that these Pharisees, who were supposed to be the shepherds of God's people, they were not shepherds at all. But indeed, they were the very thieves and robbers. They were those that were associated with the one who is, whose only intent is to steal, kill, and destroy. These false shepherds, they didn't enter by the door, but they climbed up some other way. But a true shepherd is one who enters by the door. And Jesus is here contrasting then the true shepherd and the false shepherd. And if anyone ever preaches anything other than Christ as the door, the only door, then that person is a false shepherd. One of the reasons we make distinctions in the church and try to use words that describe what we believe is because there are those. Even in the visible church, there are those that preach something altogether different than what the Scripture proclaims. Jesus isn't simply a way. He's not just simply one way. It's not that Jesus, it's not Jesus plus something. No, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am the door. It's pretty clear. Jesus is... The only way. There was no other way than Christ Jesus. There's no other way to climb in. 
Not by your background, not by your ethnicity, not by your works, not by jumping through particular hoops. But it is in Christ and Christ alone, even as we just sang a few moments ago. So he who enters by Christ, that door then is opened. And the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. Calvin states, they alone are good shepherds who lead men straight to Christ. If we want to know, if we want to understand what the role of the minister of the gospel is, it is that. To lead people straight to Christ. That's a true shepherd of the flock of God. And the true shepherd's voice, our shepherd's voice, it's not only heard, but it's recognized. And there's a a subtle shift here in the text from those shepherds who are to lead men straight to Christ, to Christ himself as the good shepherd. Verse 4 says, when he brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they'll not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You know, here in the West, uh, sheep and their shepherds, if, if we could even call them that here in the West, but we do have some. But sheep and shepherds here in the West have somewhat of an adversarial relationship. I don't know if you know that, but if you watch them, often the shepherds will use dogs to uh, chase their sheep and to keep them together and to put them back and to bring them back into the fold. They tend to follow behind their sheep rather than in front of them. But in the Middle East, a shepherd would lead his flock. A shepherd would go before his flock and the flock would follow because they knew the care And the compassion of the shepherd. They knew his voice and they would respond to the voice of the shepherd. And even as we think that in a spiritual sense. Think of Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Lazarus. Zacchaeus. As the great shepherd speaks and they hear and recognize his voice. But a stranger. Sheep will not follow a stranger but will actually flee from it. And again, so here we've got this contrast, not only between the true and false shepherd, but we also have a contrast here in John chapter 10 of a true and false sheep. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. And notice the very next verse. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. I don't want to make more of this in the scripture intends, but isn't it interesting that immediately after Jesus says the sheep follow because they know his voice, that John follows that up with this statement. And he says, but they did not understand. Why didn't they understand? Because they didn't know his voice. They were not a sheep. And so Jesus again says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves, robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, you'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a, what a statement. What a statement. Here we have the, the, the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ. There have been others who have come, and there are still others today that make the same claim that claim that they know a better way of salvation or a different way of salvation. Another way to the Father, another way to true life, another way to full life, another way to abundant life. But what we're told here that these are nothing but liars and deceivers. And yes, even antichrists who are leading away from the true shepherd. Whether it's 
present day Judaism, with the works of the law, whether it's Islam or Buddhism, New Age religion, Mormonism, or whatever else it might be, any, any so-called church that denies Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation, as the only truth, the only way to heaven, it's a lie. And it's meant to steal, kill, and destroy. It's false. But Jesus came that they may have life. Who? The sheep. And have it abundantly. Christ came with a purpose. To have life. To bring life. Isn't that wonderful? One shouldn't be angry that there is only one way. We talked about this this morning even in our church. One shouldn't be angry that there's, oh, it's not fair that there's only one way to the Father. Praise God that there is a way to the Father. And that he's made it available to us. He's made it clear. In fact, it is quite simple. Yes, it's profound, but it's also quite simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Any of us can understand that. It's the simple, wonderful, profound truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That he lived and he died and he rose again for sinners like you and like me. And that is the only way. He is the door. But not only is he door, he, he's the shepherd who loves his sheep. I, I love this part. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The, the good shepherd came for this purpose. To give his life for the sheep. No, he, he, he gives life by giving his own. And notice the purposeful love of this wonderful shepherd. He had said, I, am, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he did so again by laying his life down. Christ died for the sheep. He died in their stead. He died in our stead. He actually paid the price, paid the penalty for the sin of those who trust in him. And that's a great assurance, isn't it? It's a great assurance for those who belong to him. We can boldly say, I can stand up here and for all of you in Christ Jesus, I can say, Jesus died for you. And he paid for your sin. And in Christ Jesus, guess what? You will never pay for that yourself. Never. It's been dealt with on the cross. Oh, the love of the shepherd. Your sin has been forgiven. The wrath of God has been taken away. It's been propitiated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's laid down his life for the sheep. I mean, and who would do this but the one to whom those sheep belong? The text tells us that he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and he flees. The wolf snatches them, scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But you see, Christ is concerned about the sheep. Because why? Well, because he's not just some hired hand. But to him the sheep have been given. They belong to the Lord Jesus. We can, we can gladly sing as that old children's hymn says, His sheep am I. We have been given to him by the Father. I've used this illustration before on numerous occasions, but I was driving with a friend of mine years ago on a trip, and I, I spilt a Coke or coffee or something in the car and I turned to him actually Ted it may have been you and I on the way to Presbytery one time years and years ago and I said I said oh gosh I'm so sorry I spilt that and he turned to me and he said oh don't worry about it it's just a rental 
But you get the point, don't you? I don't care because it doesn't belong to me. Jesus doesn't do that with us. He doesn't say he's just a rental. He says he's mine. He belongs to me. Jesus loves his sheep. But the hired hand, he sees the wolf coming and he flees to preserve his own life rather than protecting the life of the sheep. The good shepherd not only doesn't flee, but he takes the initiative and he lays down his life for those who belong to him because he loves them. John tells us in 1 John 4, he says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This, that's the love of the shepherd. That's the love of our shepherd for us as sheep. In verse 14, Jesus repeats himself, doesn't he? He says, I'm the good shepherd. But then he goes on, I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This knowledge of the shepherd serves actually to broaden our understanding of the love of the shepherd. Why? Because he knows his own. He knows what you're like. He knows your heart. He even knows your sin and all those things that you hide from everybody else. And yet he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Even knowing you and me, he lays down his life. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And and the shepherd knows his sheep intimately, deeply. There is an intimacy of knowledge between the shepherd and his sheep. He, he knew you before the creation of the world. Now, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? We can't even get, begin to get our minds around that. But because he did, you can know him. You can know him as your shepherd. And because he knows his sheep, there's nothing that can, that can surprise him. I'm so thankful for this, that there is nothing that can surprise Jesus. Jesus will not one day say, oh, that one slipped by me. I didn't know that about Chris. That's going to fully disqualify him. He's never going to say that. He knows me fully. And since I am his based solely on his grace, nothing that I've done to deserve it, then there's great comfort for me. When I look at my own life, sometimes I feel like, and I don't know how many of you people have seen this, but it's it's so funny. I wish some, I don't hardly ever use um, visible illustrations from the pulpit, but this one, I think it's worth it. Some of you may have seen it. It's a video on social media where this this shepherd is digging his sheep out of this pit and he spends so much time trying to pull his sheep up he finally gets it up onto the edge he puts it up the sheep bounds off and is so happy and jumps right back into the ditch that's me and that's you isn't it and Jesus knows that and he still loves you and he pulls you up over and over and over again. And praise God, he never tires of pulling me by my back legs out of a ditch. Because he does it over and over and over and over again. That's our shepherd. 
If you're Christ's sheep, he knows you and you know him. Sheep don't all of a sudden stop being his sheep. There's nothing that will diminish the love of the shepherd for his sheep. Because he perfectly knows you. And he still loves you. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? He knows our deepest fears. He knows our deepest joys. He knows our hidden sins. And he still loves his sheep. And they know him. And, and, and he desires that all that belong to him will come to him. Notice that. We're, we're to be an evangelistic people. Because our Savior is. Because our Savior is. Look what he says. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they'll hear my voice. And they will become one flock with the shepherd. And this flock or this fold of which Jesus is speaking, of course, is, is Israel. But no longer will the covenants of promise be limited to, to a particular people or within a particular nation, but will include people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, from every corner of the world. That was shadow. Israel pointed to something greater, and Jesus has made it clear simply because one was part of Israel, that didn't make him a sheep. No, no. God makes people his sheep. Through his call. Only Christ has ever made one a sheep. Sure, there were true sheep within Israel. And because Jesus says, I must bring others also, right? So there were, there were those true sheep within Israel. I must bring others also. But there are not two different flocks with two different purposes, two different doors to enter. Remember, Jesus has said, I am the door. There's one door, there's one flock, and there's one shepherd. It's the same thing that Paul is saying in the second chapter of Ephesians, where he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, for by it having put to death the, uh, put to death the enmity. Jesus goes on to say here, For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life for the sheep, that I might take it up again. Jesus, the good shepherd, he loves his sheep, and he's obedient to his father. He lays down his life so that he may take it up again, and that a sheep whom the father has given to him may have life abundantly in his name. Jesus says concerning his life that, that he lays it down and he takes it up again. He says, no one, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He says, I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So Jesus was obedient to his father's will. And even as Jesus was obedient to his Father's will, he still had the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Why would you even say it that way? Because what Jesus did, he did so voluntarily. As Paul says in Philippians, he humbled himself even to the point of death. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, not simply a prophet, not just a good man, but God himself. Jesus, God himself, took on flesh and gave his life. 
You know, a true shepherd may be called to risk his life to care for the sheep. But the good shepherd didn't merely risk his life. He gave it. And he gave it voluntarily. And I love this part, though. Not only did he have the authority to give it, but also to take it up again. Also to take it up again. The death of Christ was not an end in itself. We do not serve a dead Savior. I know we know that, but oh, do we need to be reminded of it. We do not serve a dead Savior. For if he, would be, if he were dead, he'd be no Savior. But praise God, he took it up again. He defeated death and its hold, and he lives. Jesus was no martyr. See, a martyr is one whose life is taken because they stand for a particular cause. Jesus was no mere martyr. Yes, it was men who killed him. But, but even that served the purposes, the planned purposes of God that Jesus would die as a substitute for sinners like you and me, as a substitute for his sheep, the shepherd for the sheep. Peter says in that great sermon in Acts chapter 2, he said, This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Yes, it was men who killed him. But it was God who delivered him for a purpose. To save sinners like you and like me. And it was Jesus God delivered him, and yet it was Jesus, the good shepherd, who had the authority to give it voluntarily, and he did, and he did. These wicked men here thought they were doing one thing, but in reality, God was doing another. They thought they were getting rid of a nuisance, killing a man, but even in the very midst of that, God was securing life for his sheep. He was securing life for the sheep, for sinners like you and me. Through the, through the work of the good shepherd of the sheep. And there is only one of those. What we're doing this morning or this evening is wonderful. And we ought to rejoice and praise the Lord that God has raised up a man that will faithfully preach the good news of the gospel. But that good news of the gospel faithfully preached are men like him who will point sinners like us to the great shepherd of the sheep because he is the one that we need. Not just mere men because as much as we want to think of ourselves, it's good men. The best of men are at best just what? Men. Just men. But not the Lord Jesus. The great shepherd of the sheep. Our Savior. Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus in whom we stand. We thank you for the privilege of pointing each other to him, the great shepherd of the sheep, our only hope, the one who lived the life that we cannot live, that died the death that we deserve, 
and rose again, defeating death and sin. Who ascended up into the heavenlies and is sitting at your right hand, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, he's the shepherd of the sheep, but he's King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh God, may we bow the knee to that, to him. And may we rejoice this day. May we put our trust in him. And may we be encouraged as the sheep with a great shepherd. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, what we are about to do is a little different than what we normally do as a part of our uh, typical liturgy. And what we are about to do, for those of you that are guests with us, what we are about to do is very, very significant in the life of our church. Um, According to Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, Christ has given the teaching ministry or the ministry of word and sacrament as a gift to his church. And um, that gift is given for the building up of of the body to... to, uh, help them, to um, lead them, uh, to help them grow spiritually, that they might uh, exercise the gifts that the Lord has given them by the Spirit, that they might serve one another. And the goal of that is, um, in Paul's words, the ultimate goal is that we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about of it by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, or by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. And so what we're about to do tonight is to confirm that God has in fact called Aaron Reigns to fulfill that teaching ministry. And in so doing, we are, we are also, in our own way, communicating to him that he is a gift to us. For those of you that haven't been a part of our church for very long, or for those of you that are guests with us, I, I think it would be helpful to you, for you to know that throughout history, the church has laid hands on those whom he calls to serve. Um, listen to the few of these examples. In Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. In Acts chapter 13, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, Command and teach these things, writing to Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
So in light of that, what we're about to do, we're going to lay hands on Aaron. It's, it's our practice as we ordain ministers to do so. Uh, men are never chosen uh, to the pastorate based on their charisma or their entrepreneurial spirit. Um, men are also not called solely based on their own personal sense of the Lord's call. Rather, they are, uh, or the church is used to confirm their call um, to the ministry. Um, Aaron, come stand here beside me. Aaron has spent the last five and a half years um, completing his theological education and um, the responsibilities of an intern within our presbytery. He spent the last six months uh, diligently preparing for and undergoing thorough examination, both in written and uh, orally, uh, both written and oral form by the Presbytery's uh, Candidates and Credentials Committee, as well as standing before the Presbytery, uh, in Feb- both in uh, October and February. Uh, and he was examined in the areas of personal character, uh, biblical content, theology, the sacraments, church history, and our beloved uh, Book of Church Order, which he has memorized. Um, he has written uh, multiple-page exegetical and theological papers, Um, He has submitted sermons for evaluation and critique, and I'm happy to say that he is finished and survived and passed with flying colors. Uh, So we are blessed tonight to have, and you've seen uh, Chris, you'll see a few others from this point forward, uh, representatives of our presbytery uh, who are here with us not only to attest to this process that he has undergone, uh, but also Uh, to represent our presbytery who have, in fact, or who has, in fact, conferred that God has chosen and equipped and given Aaron to us to preach the gospel of his kingdom, to administer the sacraments uh, which the Lord has instituted as signs and seals of his grace, uh, to uh, to the service of prayer, and, of course, to shepherd the people of God. Uh, The vows he is about to take are solemn promises that he will be making with religious care and will have the responsibility to perform with faithfulness. He is making them to God alone, voluntarily, out of faith, and out of conscience of duty. Uh, The vows will bind him together with you, Christ Church Bentonville. With that said... Aaron, do you believe the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? And do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of the system of doctrine, that you will, on your own initiative, make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. And do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? And do you promise subjection to your your brethren in the Lord? And have you been induced as far as you know... um, Sorry, have you been induced, as far as you know your own heart, 
to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and to a sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? And do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and the unity of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? And do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the flock of which God shall make you an overseer? And are you now willing to take the charge of this church agreeable to your declaration when accepting their call? And do you, relying upon God for strength, promise to discharge to it the duties of a pastor? I do. Christ Church Bentonville, if you're a member of Christ Church, would you please stand? I have a, a three or four questions, actually four questions for you. And... The minutes say you have to raise your right hand, uh, so each time I ask this question, if, if you do that, I appreciate it. We're, we're going to do things decently in order here. Uh, do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Aaron Rains, whom you have called to be your associate pastor? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love, and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? And finally, do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor, that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised, and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you, do you? Amen. You may be seated. Uh, those men who have been ordained to the office of elder, would you come join us? You are invited to come and join us down front. Aaron, if you would take uh, a knee. And if you men would gather around him as we pray, laying hands on him in prayer. Levi, Greg, good to see you guys. Thanks for coming. And I'm going to pray for us, all right? If you all would bow... Um, your head in prayer with us. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we humbly ask that you would set Aaron apart for gospel ministry and grant him the grace and the power of your spirit he needs to fulfill that ministry. Protect him from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Root and tear out the poisonous weeds of self-righteousness. Help him to mortify those besetting sins that can so easily entangle him that he might be a pure channel of your grace. May he pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Grant him power and grace to fight the good fight of faith that he may take hold of the eternal life to which he has been called. Give him the sweet results of faith in his secret character and in his public life. Look upon the frustrations and doubts and discouragements of his ministry and grant him confidence, assurance, and hope. Bring others alongside him who will encourage him, prop him up, and sustain him. Remind him daily of the call you've placed upon him and the confirmation he is receiving today through your church. 
Fasten him upon the rock of your eternal election so his head will not hang down, but instead will look up in hope for himself and others. Keep him from high thoughts of himself or his work. Help him to grow more and more humble. Keep him from self-importance. Save him from self-opinion and self-seeking. Help him to rejoice in his weaknesses and give you praise. Help him to acknowledge his deficiencies and yet not be discouraged by them so that he and those to whom he ministers may behold your glory and strength more clearly. Teach him that he must act by a power supernatural, that he can attempt to do things above his strength and bear evils beyond his strength. Show him that the weaker he is, the more fit he is to be used by you. Pitch a tent of grace in his weakness. Remind him how feeble he is when faith is not an exercise. Keep him from doing your work without your power or lack of inward light, love, and delight. By your Spirit, enable him to explore the truths of your word and to love them with all his heart, embrace them with all his power, and engraft them into his life. Bless to his soul all grains of truth garnered from it. May those grains take deep root, be refreshed by heavenly dew, be ripened by heavenly rays, and be harvested to his joy and your praise. Help him to profit as he reads it. Make it a fountain of flowing water which replenishes his dry heart. May you write your words on his heart and inscribe them on his lips. Give him assistance in praying and preaching. By your word and spirit, enable him to faithfully pray in such a way that grasps the arm of your omnipotence, achieves wonders, obtains blessings, and draws down streams of mercy on behalf of those you've entrusted to him. May he be anxious about nothing and pray about everything. Attend to his preaching with power as well. By your grace, may his end in preaching be to know Christ and impart his truth. Make every sermon of his a means of grace to himself as well as to your people. When he preaches, let not his words be merely elegant and masterly, his reasoning polished and refined, his performance powerless and tasteless, but may he lift high the name of Christ that all men might be drawn to him. Let not his ministry be approved of only by men and merely win the esteem and affections of people, but may it do the work of grace in their hearts. Call in your elect, seal and edify the regenerate ones, and command eternal blessings on their souls. Give him the freedom to open the sorrows of your people and to set before them comforting considerations, and may they be refreshed, melted, convicted, comforted, and blessed. Help him not to treat excellent matter in a defective way or to bear a broken testimony to so worthy a redeemer. Keep him in tune with you as he does this work. May you give him the wisdom, discernment, compassion, and strength to shepherd the flock of God. Remind him that he is to labor among your people and wear himself out to the point of exhaustion on behalf of the sheep, because he is called to care for those for whom Christ shed his imperishable blood to redeem and is watching over their souls and will give an account for how he does so. Set the seal of your almighty will upon his ministry. Grant him to rest upon your power and faithfulness and grace. Protect him, his marriage, and his family. May he continue to be a loving and faithful husband who leads his wife well, and a patient and caring father who does not provoke his children to anger, but continues to raise them in the fear and admonition of you. We pray that Bonnie and the girls would be a constant support to him and an ongoing blessing to this congregation and their neighbors.
May you now bless him and keep him. May your face shine upon him and be gracious to him. May you turn your face toward him and give him peace. And we ask all this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Aaron, we now give you the right hand of fellowship to take part in this ministry with us. Any one of you can start. Go for it. Made it this far. Lord bless you, brother. You didn't do this. There we go. Make it official. Stay here, you're not done. I now pronounce and declare that Aaron Rains has been regularly elected, ordained an installed pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the Word of God. And according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You got to stay here because they're going to talk to you. Honor and a privilege to get to give you a charge as you start your life as an associate pastor. It is my privilege to be a part of this ceremony, and I'm I'm really really proud. You started it, but I'm not going to cry. Uh, it, it is a, it is a privilege. Uh, Jude three says, "Contempt for the faith once for all delivered to the saints." And that would be an incredibly appropriate charge to you. I know that you're going to do that. I know that you're going to do that really, really well. But that's not the charge that I want to give you today. I want to read from, and it's going to, it's going to be uh, uh, unoriginal that I'm talking about shepherding. Uh, from 1 Peter 5, the first four verses say, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter says, shepherd the flock. Chris talked about shepherding the flock, and he did a great job of talking about shepherd by pointing to the good shepherd, and that is, that is exactly what you need to be doing. 
And it also means loving people well in other ways, um, in, in real tangible ways. To understand what I mean, I, w- I want to tell you about a man named Mark. This isn't to make this about this gentleman, but um, on New Year's Eve, he passed away. And a week after his uh, untimely death, at his funeral, there were 800 people. You would think that perhaps he was the pastor at a, at a really large church, and that he had ministered in, in, a, in, a, in a massive way uh, in one place, but that wasn't Mark's story. Mark had been a lawyer for 20 years, and then he went into ministry, and he, uh, he did a lot of things um, for the Lord. One person said that he was maniacal about the resurrection, that he talked about that every time he got together with people. Um, he had been a brilliant lawyer, um, but I want you to listen to what people had to say, a particular person had to say about Mark. A man in my church was in a Bible, st- a Bible study for lawyers, great place for a Bible study um, in the law community, just kidding. Uh, and he was really shook by Mark's death. Uh, I got coffee with my friend and I asked him, what was, what was like the most significant thing that Mark ever, ever said to you? And he said, I can't think of one. I, I, I can't think of a, a really profound thing that he had to say to me. I said, well, then why are you so shook up about losing this Bible study leader? And he said, he was intentional. He cared about me. He was for me. He would ask hard questions. He, he wasn't my guru, but he was a, a father I never had. And, and he cared about me in ways I never experienced. That's my charge. Love these people well. Contend for the faith. Point people to Jesus. He's their only hope. But love them well. When they're weeping, weep. When they're rejoicing, rejoice. When they are going astray, confront them in love. Um, When they are sick, pray for them. Die to yourself that they might flourish. You probably heard a similar charge at your wedding about your bride. You've been called to shepherd Jesus' bride. Love her well in his power. It's my privilege to give the charge to the congregation. Now, this is a, probably a pretty unusual experience in your life to be asked to take vows. Uh, maybe if you're married, of course, you were asked, uh, I hope you were <laughs> at that time. Uh, but of course, as I tell people when they're getting married, I do this at weddings sometimes, I'll say, um, you're not committing to love that, you're not saying you love one another now. Like we all know that's why you're here. We get it. What you're doing is you're actually committing to love one another in days ahead. And, and that's the way a vow functions and the ones that you've taken today. Uh, and so uh, I want to give you a charge uh, in light of those vows. And I want to do it from uh, Paul's, the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers and sisters, 
to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly with love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Just a few things. One, Paul uses the word, and you heard it earlier, uh, that ministry is a labor, and, and actually the word he uses says you will pour yourself out, you will exhaust yourself, uh, and, and any faithful minister will, will grow great, uh, greatly weary and exhausted uh, in the labor, uh, and that's the kind of, ha- of, of man you have here, uh, and the apostle says respect that. Uh, respect the laborer. He is on the front lines of spiritual battle, uh, and he may not yet realize even the change that's coming uh, in light of his new call. Uh, There are spiritual forces of darkness arrayed against the kingdom of Christ and his servants. Uh, His best efforts may be met with, on the one hand, resistance from hard hearts, Uh, but also uh, just weakness on the part of willing hearts, uh, let alone, of course, uh, that seed-stealing and flaming arrow-throwing of the evil one. And I might add tonight, sometimes even at a meeting like this, he might be thrown under the uh, proverbial rental bus bus, uh, publicly uh, by a dear friend who I love very much. And remembers things I don't remember. Uh, But as John Calvin noted, as the kingdom of God is lightly esteemed, or at least is not esteemed suitably to its dignity, there follows also from this contempt for pious teachers. So Paul says, don't be like that. Remember that God has called him and you have called him. And you've called him to join with the other elders in teaching and instructing and admonishing and governing this church. He didn't appoint himself. God called him and you called him. And, and remember that it's never pleasant, at, as ministers uh, must do at times, as they're constrained to deliver hard news, difficult news, bad news. The bad news that makes the good news really sweet, but it's never pleasant to deliver the bad. And it's not easy to faithfully and accurately handle the word of truth. It takes work and sweat and tears and prayer and faith. Aaron, of course, is a hard worker. I I, uh, assume all of you have respect for him. I think the vote was unanimous. We understand your esteem of him today. But in days coming as you get to know the man more and more and see his public ministry in its infancy. All the more, give yourself to highly esteeming. In fact, Paul says very highly esteemed, beyond measure, exceedingly super abundantly, he says, because of his work, because of his efforts. And then notice Paul also mentions not just respect for him, but love. Love to him. Calvin, again, says, For as the doctrine of the gospel is lovely, so it is befitting that the ministers of it should be loved. And then thirdly, seek to live at peace. Seek to live at peace with him and be at peace among yourselves, Paul says. It's 
uh, elsewhere, insofar as it's possible, insofar as it's up to you, uh, live peaceably with all. And peace doesn't just happen. It has to be cultivated. It, it can't be cultivated unless we aspire to it. So aspire to it. Don't, don't go to war against each other. And don't arm yourselves for battle against one another. And as much as possible, put fires out. Don't start them. Don't hold grievances against one another, but reconcile with one another. Be the first to repent. Be the first to ask forgiveness. Be the first to forgive. Nothing would delight your pastor more. And nothing would be more properly a demonstration of the fruit of the gospel ministry that he brings among you. So receive Aaron, very highly esteem him, love him, because he labors and leads and helps you to learn your Savior's love, and let the peace which Christ purchased by the blood of his cross, let that peace, that peace that reconciles enemies, that peace, let it rule between you all. The Lord help you do that. Church, what a good day, man. Let's, let's go to our God now in prayer. God, we gather together as your people. Um, and we profess our love that we have for you. But man, more than that, we thank you that you have first loved us. We thank you that you, Father, sent your only son and that you sent him to lay down his life for those of us who at that time were his enemies. We thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness to us. Now we thank you for this great day that we get to come together and celebrate. Man, we thank you for the truths that we have got to sing together. We thank you. We thank you that you have called us to confess our sin and that you have assured us that we are forgiven because of the work of Christ. We thank you for the reminder that we have this great shepherd, that you are the great and perfect shepherd. And man, we thank you that you raise up men in your church to love and to lead. God, I thank you for Aaron. I thank you for this man that you have brought into my life. This man, he has become a dear friend. He has... Man, I'm not even a member of his church, but man, he has loved me well. He has, man, he has offered me um, words of encouragement when I needed them. He has told me things at times that I did not want to hear, but man, did I need them. I thank you for the way that you um, have put him together, for the many talents that you have given him. Uh, thank you for his boldness to speak the truth, even whenever he knows not everybody's going to be really happy about it. But man, I thank you that you have given this gift to your church. God, I pray that you would strengthen him. Pray that you would continue to sanctify him. Pray that he would look more and more like Jesus the more, the more time that he spends with him. God, I pray that you would guard his heart and mind. I pray that you would guard his marriage. Pray that you, man, would continue to build up Bonnie and the girls. 
pray that because of the way he loves him, that they would become more like you. God, I pray for the members of Christ Church Bentonville that um, he would love them well and that they would in turn love him well. I pray for us as members of the Presbytery that we, um, and that we would come alongside him, do ministry well with him, that we would encourage him when he needs it. Man, we ask that um, if there is correction needed, that you would make us bold enough to come along and do it. Bless his ministry, whether it be here or wherever you might one day lead him. We thank you for the many good gifts that you have given us. And church, would you join me now in our Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.